Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anil Polat. We have a lot of things to catch up on today. Uh, I, I'm a little bit nervous because it's uh, it's just me today, no guests. Um, but we're going to talk about guests. We're going to talk about the first nine months of this podcast. We're going to talk about going into hiatus, which a lot of people asked me about. What is hiatus? Why are you doing this? Where are you going? What's happening? Help me. All those kind of things. So we're going to get into that in this episode, a little bit of behind the scenes of why I, I'm going on hiatus, what that means for all the Fox Nomad stuff. So we'll get into that. Um, then we're going to talk some light topics like racism and security, cybersecurity in particular, ethics. And then finally, we're going to talk about some travel deals that are coming out right now, the kind that are fully refundable and you can get your money back if you have to cancel for whatever reason. Um, I'm talking specifically about Travel Zoo, so you might have seen these deals coming around, a couple of people were asking me about that. So I wanted to get into that and, and let you know what these uh, fully refundable travel deals that you might be seeing in your inbox or online, what those mean and whether or not you can trust them and what's what's the catch. So we'll get into all of that. But first, a couple of things. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about some videos that have popped up in the meantime since the last episode. So we've got uh, one in particular I wanted to talk to you about was, can you trust Fox Nomad? So this was a video that I made, and there's a, a blog post about it as well, which is really sort of a, a concentration of, of a lot of questions that I've gotten and, and sort of standardizing the way I run things across all these platforms, this podcast included. So if you've ever wondered, what is an ad? What isn't an ad? What does a review mean? What does a sponsored review mean? I get into all of that, but, but basically... To break it down for you, the, if there's an ad anywhere on my site, on the podcast, on a video, you will know it's an ad. So it will be, this is brought to you by something like that, or I'll just say, this is an ad. As far as the reviews go, so if you see, a, I don't really do sponsored reviews, I really consider those um, a showcase. So in other words, a review is, this is a product, or this is a place, or this is a service, and then I explain it, pros and cons from my point of view and whether or not it's worth your time or your money with uh, when it's somebody, when a brand is is paying me, essentially, um, I can't really give that feedback very objectively. I mean, I can try. And even if I am being objective, uh, it, it, it has the sort of the look of, you know, it, it can be questioned. So uh, a showcase is really explaining to you what a service what a product or what something does um, so it's really showing you and highlighting features of that product letting you know about it um, and talking you through it and giving you exposure to it but without making that final this is what i think about it because um, when there's money involved when there's that exchange i can't be completely unbiased or at least i can't i feel like you can't believe that i'm completely unbiased so that's the difference, but I get into all of that. So if you want to check out, you know, how ads work, what my personal ethics for the site, videos, podcasts, what that, those are, uh, that's a video and a post that's that's worth checking out. It, it was really interesting to put that together um, because like I mentioned in the video, over the past year or so, I've kind of expanded things behind the scenes here. So I've had to sort of standardize all the things that I was doing in my head so that other members of, of the, the small Fox Nomad team know what's going on. And 
So now you do too. So you can check that out. I think I think you'll find it interesting. And if, if you're a blogger type, uh, especially, um, or or you're an influencer, or you you want to get into that space, I think these are some good ground rules to go by. Um, so I think you know um, a lot of a lot of I'm starting a rant, but a, a lot of influencers, a lot of people that that get into this kind of space, uh, really focus on trying to make money first and putting the content not necessarily first. Um, and I always think that's that's a mistake. The number one priority for a creator should be creating, should be making things that people want to watch, listen to, interact with, whatever. And the money should be secondary because. If you if you focus correctly, if you focus on building your audience, then all the other opportunities, monetarily, whatever you want, you know the the monetary or the the travel opportunities or whatever kind of perks come with it, will be there. But the the, the thing that you should focus on is building the audience. But there are ways to work with brands in between that, and so that's what that whole thing is about. And I've spent a lot of time on it now, but I think it's important. Um, at least from my point of view, to share with you how how things work behind the scenes. A um, couple of other things, a couple of other videos that were posted, what YouTubers don't say on camera. So almost invariably when I put out a video, which is funny to me, I always get a comment of, you didn't mention this. And it's like clockwork. And it will happen months, years after a video is live. So hey, you went to this place and you didn't mention that coffee shop or you didn't mention those that train station or, hey, this product came out and, you know, it had this Bluetooth feature and you didn't mention that at all. So why don't I say certain things on camera? Why don't people who make YouTube videos or podcasts, why, they, why don't we say certain things? That video is all about that. Um, and the explanation is really quite simple. So I'll let you check that out. That one's up on YouTube, Fox Nomad. You'll find it. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any videos there. And finally, last video that I just want to highlight for you. If you've been wondering what quarantine, post-quarantine life is like around the world, I made a video about what it's like in Istanbul. So right now we are just in the beginning of August when I'm recording this. And Istanbul has kind of left quarantine so we are now out of quarantine and I wanted to share with you and show you what it's like how the city is kind of sort of rolling back into normal I mean it's still not quite normal um, in terms of both just first of all everybody's at the beach so anybody except me I'm the only I'm the only moron that's still here but uh, but most people have have gone to the beach so typically in the summer especially August Istanbul is pretty quiet but most most locals are are, are gone. Um, but at the same time now, there are pretty much no tourists. I mean, pretty much no tourists. So the city is really at this time where, aside from everybody wearing masks and, and social distancing, all that stuff, there's just less people here, a lot less people than than usual. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting time to see it, you know? Uh, so if you've been, if you have travel plans, so if you're traveling here, or if you're just curious what it's like, whole video to show you what that's like. All right. So uh, enough of that. Let's go. Let's start getting into hiatus. So I've been talking about going on hiatus. This is, you know, hiatus podcast. What does that mean? 
Well, essentially what happens every August in a normal non-pandemic year is August is a pretty quiet time, at least for the site and, and videos and general interaction. And the reason is because you guys are usually traveling at this time. So people are on vacation, people are traveling. And so when you're traveling, that's usually the time when I can do a whole bunch of behind the scenes stuff, slow down, get prepared for one of the busiest times, if not the busiest time of the year really is between September and December because people are then planning other travels. There's a lot of uh, trips that people take in that time of the year, but it's also tech season. So right now I'm switching studios. So I will be in a new location the next time. Well, not the next time, the next, ah, okay. So not the next podcast, because there's a special episode coming out in two weeks, but uh, after that, after the hiatus ends, I'll be in a new location for the purpose of really just tech reviews. So a lot of boxes are being shipped, a lot of products are coming out. Some are embargoed, I can't even talk about them yet, but I'll have my hands on them. So tech season is coming up, but before that, what I like to do is kind of shut down the site. So there are no posts on the site in August, except for one week, which is called Geek Week. Um, there will be a special Geek Week podcast of the Fox Nomad podcast coming up next week. So that one is a special. But aside from that, we won't have any new podcast episodes until early September. Um, YouTube, I probably will still keep making videos because um, I just, yeah, I, I, I'm not only do I love doing it, but there's just kind of a, that flow that that engine never seems to slow down, but it might. So August is usually the quiet time, quiet time, at least on the front facing stuff. So on social media, on content, but typically this is the time of the year when behind the scenes I'm working on, maybe I'm going to do a, you know, a site upgrade or, or figuring out certain types of content. A lot of the apps, a lot of the apps are getting a lot of updates and changes, which I'm so excited to share with you. So a lot of that is happening and it's getting into those final stages and so on. So that's why there's a hiatus. I also think there's sort of a there's sort of an elegance to having an uh, an ebb and a flow of something. So <clears throat> where you're not just going make stuff, make stuff, make stuff, makes and there's just no break. So um, and I do give myself vacation time. So I figured at some point as a boss, I would if I were my employee, I would want vacation time. So I give myself vacation time. I'm not always entirely diligent about taking it, but I do have it and I do try to be better about using it every year. And I also build in, you know, there are holidays. So US federal holidays, Turkish uh, national holidays as well. You'll notice there's no content, at least on foxnomad.com, there's no content on those days. Those are just the rules that I follow by. I've written about these things before as to why why I have that, but it's nice to have those built-in holidays, but August is a slow time. But having said that, August is also when there's Geek Week and Geek Week is really just awesome. It's one of my favorite times of the year to write. We usually have guest posters. Um, and this year there's a special, I'm super excited about it, a special Geek Week podcast episode. Geek Week is doesn't necessarily have to do with travel or tech. It's really just the cool stuff that I want to write about and that you guys want to write about. 
So it, it can be anything, but this one is a, you know what, I'm not going to tell you. You really, really, if you're any kind of nerd, you're going to love it. And I'm super excited. So, and that'll be the last podcast, like I said, um, until early September-ish. Sometime around then, then we're going to get kick-started. There's a lot of things happening in tech. There's a lot of things happening in travel. Um, there's just so much going on, so we'll we'll jump back into flow back then. Hitting back to the regular schedule of every Friday. So the podcast episodes will go out on Friday every other week. Um, and looking back at the first nine months of the podcast, I haven't been entirely good about that. Um, on the flip side, I've been making more episodes than usual, which is good. So I've given you a ton of bonus episodes. Um, and a lot of that has to do with really having guests on the on the podcast. So I'll record with a guest and... What I'd like to do in the future, and I'd love your feedback on this, so let me let me know on Twitter at Fox Nomad. But what I like doing is blending in sort of free form, where it's just me talking about a topic, like it is now, um, because I get a lot of questions. This is a good forum to address those questions in long form. Um, it also lets me get sort of more behind the scenes about videos that I've shot, what things are like things that just don't have a good place in written form on my site or that just don't make sense for a video. You know, they would, a video has to be sort of this concentrated visual thing, whereas on the podcast, I can just talk and talk and explain it. So I kind of want to blend in guest segments with, you know, those kind of segments where it's just me. Um, but, you know, I've gotten, it's gotten really difficult because the guests, have just been amazing. So I hope you enjoyed the the guest interviews, but they've been great. And we could just talk and talk and talk. And uh, so once those are ready, I just I just put them up. So bonus episode, it's live. So I'm gonna try to be better about balancing that so you get a more regular schedule every other week on Fridays. Uh, the podcast should go out. So um, that's something I'd like to be better about. Um, but again, it's really just me trying to work in the podcast into my regular workflow of two videos on YouTube a week, two posts on Fox Nomad a week, about a zillion emails a week that I get, um, just sort of business stuff that has to happen and the app development side and keeping the apps maintained. So it's just another thing that I have to sort of figure out how to work it in. And uh, I'm going to do that in August because I'll be updating my workflows and, and, and trying to figure out what more, what kind of content you listening, what do you want? I would love feedback on that. So do you want more blog posts? Do you want more written things? Do you want more videos? Do you want more podcast episodes, more guests, less guests? What kind of topics do you want to hear? Let me know. August is the time where, you know, it, it's, 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 um, it's planning and preparation time because when September hits, it's going to be busy. It's going to be, it's going to be an exciting ride. All right, so that is a little bit of behind the scenes. And hopefully that gives you a better idea of what my mentality of all this. Again, if you are someone who creates content, I highly recommend that you figure out when the slow time of the year is for you or when a good time to take a break is for you. And it might be a good time to kind of just, you know, just relax a little bit. So, you know, and it's nice to have it built in because I like... I like having a routine, whether it's, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever. 
there's a schedule for all the things that I create. And I might as well schedule in that that kind of downtime as well. Um, so anyway, thanks for that, listening to that. Um, and the next topic we're get, going to get into is a little bit lighter. You know, we're going to talk about racism. And uh, I kind of got, I saw a quote and I wanted to say, hey, is it true? Does traveling make you less racist? Well, what? let's see what the science says in a moment. All right, so there's this Mark Twain quote, which I'm going to pull up now, but I'm sure you've heard of it. It's uh, travel is, what does it say? It says, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on those accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all in one's lifetime. So essentially what Twain is saying there is if you travel you generally, it opens your worldview, makes you less prejudiced and bigot, bigotry. So it, so it makes you less racist, right? So that let, let's, let's focus on that. So I've seen a lot of people posting that and, you know, like you see a lot of uh, travel influencers and people on Instagram quoting these things like, you know, travel is going to make you this, you know, enlighten you to the point of where you're just going to be, you know, a, a perfect, Zen machine. And I, you know, I was like, oh, let's see if that's actually true and, and what that actually means. Because, you know, there are plenty of people that just go travel somewhere just to get drunk. You know, they just want to party. Uh, you see, you know, not mentioning any, any places, you know, I'm not mentioning um, Southeast Asia at all, but, you know, there, there's sort of this backpacker trail, which I don't know if that if that really enlightens your your worldview, you know. But I do agree generally that traveling does give you a perspective that can open your your worldview and make things that are less familiar to you more familiar, which then means, you know, things that are familiar to you become you become less fearful of them and it can reduce, I would say, certain biases perhaps. But is that true? Does that make any sense, you know? Um, so I wanted to look into it. So I wanted to dig into it. And there are a couple of, of things. So the first is, I'll just go off the bat. Uh, the, the Washington Post had this map which showed uh, a fascinating map of the world's most and least racially tolerant countries. And this was done by two Swedish economists um, who set out to show whether or not economic freedom made people less, more or less racist. And so basically the way that they did it was, um, let's see. So it essentially, they asked the question, uh, let's, what's the question? Would you be okay with somebody from a different race as a neighbor living next to you? Um, and so they used that poll question to determine, I guess, racial bias. And so they use this question, and there are a couple of things that are wrong with this study. In fact, uh, somebody else responded to this in the Washington Post. Um, so an ethnic conflict professor did dig into this, and I'll get into that. But essentially, they're looking at uh, economic freedom, so how much money you have, expo disposable income, and whether or not that makes you less 
maybe racially biased. So looking at this map, the countries that that are highest on this list are the United States. Uh, we've got Brazil, Argentina. We've got Australia, Norway, Sweden, and the UK. So those countries, and oddly, a couple of countries are are grayed out, like Iceland. I'd be curious about most of Africa. You know, there are a lot of places that are grayed out. Obviously, probably they didn't have the data for that. So if I look at that map, and then I correlate that to there's other map by the World Bank, which shows international tourism, the number of departures. And this was a hard map to find, actually, but this is the number of people that travel out of a country. So if I take that map and I overlay it with this uh, racism map, essentially, more or less, they're kind of the same. They do, there is some correlation. But again, that makes sense. So the more disposable income people have, the more they're going to travel. This map by the, the World Bank also isn't proportional. So yeah, a lot of people in China is really high on this list, but there's a lot of people in China. So, you know, even if a smaller percentage of Chinese people are traveling internationally, there, there, there are a lot of people in China. So same thing here. So Sweden ranks very highly on the, on the tolerance scale, but they don't travel very much internationally, just in terms of total numbers. And that's because their population is very low. So, all right, that doesn't lead us many places. And then the criticism of this tolerance map is uh, the five tolerances that were given in the response to this is it's tough to gauge racial intolerance through just one metric. Okay, makes sense. That question uh, can only tell you so much. Different people might hear the question differently. Uh, in some places, when someone is asked this question, they may think of a single race. Perhaps the Vietnamese think of the Chinese, but not other races. So it may not be that the people are very racist in general, that they just hate one group that is defined by race. So that was another criticism. And then the other one is, what is the link between diversity and conflict? Um, let's see. In societies that have very little diversity, there's no opportunity for ethnic violence. For societies where there is a great deal, there is no threat of dominance. But in places where there are few groups that rival each other, then the threats they pose to each other, or at least one another, or at least, oh, sorry, or at least one to the others can be severe. Ethnic violence may not be about fractionalization or diversity, but about polarization. Uh, the fourth point he makes here, it says, ethnic conflict comes from concentration and not frac fractionalization. Um, he says, uh, by the way, by the way, I say he says, let me name this professor. This is Professor Steve uh, Sademan, a professor at Carleton University who studies ethnic conflict. So he he says where ethnic groups ethnic groups have distinct areas apart from each other within a country there is more conflict why well partly because it facilitates separatism partly because groups that have groups that are separate have a secure base from which to launch attacks partly because intermingled groups may be deterred from attacking since they themselves are vulnerable kind of like a mutual assured destruction very interesting. Um, and the fifth point, it says getting Somalia right. He said, I cited the example of Somalia from a 2002 Harvard paper, which argues that the country may actually, that the actually that the country actually became more ethnically diverse as a result of conflict rather than the other way around. As fighting and resource scarcity 
divided the country, people narrowed down their identities, i.e. someone who may have said, I'm an ethnic Dur, before the war might have said, I am Isa, after Isa is a subclan of the Dur. Sidemen says, we got this wrong. And then he goes, he goes into it. So there are some valid criticisms of those maps. So let's talk, let's get more into it. And I, I was searching around for like, you know, papers about this, um, scientific studies, surveys, that kind of stuff. And there isn't a lot. In fact, there is a lot in this sense of racism that people face when they travel, which I thought was very interesting. So there is this uh, New York Times article, and I, I, won't, I won't read the whole thing. I won't go into it, but essentially it's called My Very Personal Taste of Racism. And this is for an African-American woman who studied abroad in Italy, and it goes into her experiences of, of experiencing racism there and what that was like and how it was eye-opening to her that racism, her basically understanding of racism or experience of it was was in the United States. Um, and so she got to see what that meant in another country. And uh, it's a really good article. I'm going to link to all of these in the show notes. So if you want to get into that, I thought that was very interesting. And I think that's a very interesting way to to look at it is whether or not if you experience racism traveling, could that potentially backfire? Could that make you more racist? Does the, does the tolerance, do the tolerance benefits of travel still apply in those cases so if you go somewhere and people are racist to you um do you you know does that does that stick with you do you you know become less tolerant because of that so so i think that's a really interesting perspective and there are a lot of articles there are a lot of studies there's this one from the university of massachusetts there's that new york times article i'll link to those and there is this looks like travel blog it's called many many adventures guess what it's about many many adventures yep all right so this is the only blog post that i could find that was on how traveling helps people become more open-minded and less racist all right so that's a pretty that's a pretty interesting leap uh it says traveling makes us better humans and there's science to support the idea in 1968 almost 100 years after twain made his quote Polish-American psychologist did a landmark study, University of Michigan, um, where they would show people familiar and unfamiliar images. So uh, let's see. They wanted to see if you, okay, if you saw more unfamiliar things, unfamiliar faces, would you react to them over time better because you became familiar with them? That's called the exposure effect. Uh, more we're exposed to something, the better we like it. And so... In 2012, another study kind of following up on this was uh, was published on whether re repeated exposure would increase the approach. And as, as Zhang puts it, he was trying to find out if we start to feel better about stimuli. At the end of the research, they com com blah, conducted an F MRI study of, four of 16 white men and 16 white women. Each participant was exposed to pictures of black faces, Korean faces, written Chinese characters and random shapes. Uh, these pictures were shown a different number of times. So they wanted to see how the brain would react. The scientists found unfamiliar images activated subjects avoidance reflex, or stated simply, people were afraid of the unknown. 
Um, so it goes on and it says, what the study helped us understand is it's not that we like things we're familiar with more, but we fear them less. This is one of the reasons people typically enjoy their own homes and surrounding areas where we live. Uh, we feel safe when we are surrounded by the familiar, which makes sense from an evolutionary point of view. Obviously, you, the familiar is safe. And so that would make, make sense. Um, and then they quote the Adam Galinsky, professor at Columbia Business School, foreign experiences increase both cognitive flexibility and depth and integrativeness and thought, the ability to make deep connections. All right, so they go into this, all these studies, which I think really show you, so there are five personality traits that, that um, I forget the name of the scale, but I, I'm reading this book now called Why We're Polarized uh, by Ezra Klein, which I recommend. And it was in another book that I just read before this about these five personality traits. And one of them is openness. So the degree of how your willingness to be open to new things. And so this is a, this is like introversion, extroversion. It, it, it's a thing that we're, we're really born with. It, it, apparently it's, it's one of those personality traits that psychologists can see from children at a very, very, very young age. And it's one of the things that defines our personalities. And, um, and it, the book makes these points that one is not better than the other. So it's not better to be more open to new experiences and it's not worse. We need the mix in, in a group of people. From an evolutionary point of view, brushing off my anthropology knowledge here, uh, we would need both because, you know, I like to travel. I would be probably in a group, you know, of hunter-gatherers, probably the, the guys like running over the next hill to see what's there. But there could be like another tribe there or another, or a tiger there or something, and I'm dead, you know? So the people who decided like, nah, you know what, I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to hang out by the village. I'm just going to hang out in this area. Probably had an advantage in that way. But maybe I went over that hill and there's some awesome resources there. And I, I, I got a whole bunch of, it was great hunting ground. And I led the group there and my status in the group increased. And then I, I got more whatever hunter-gatherer wealth would be. So so do you see what I mean? You, you, you kind of need both. There are evolutionary benefits to diversity. The problem is, as these articles are pointing out, is the polarization, is 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 when those groups then become completely separate and then they can look at each other across a line, across a quote, battlefield, if you want, a ideological battlefield, and then that's where the issue comes from. So the Atlantic, I think, has a great conclusion on this, is for a more creative brain travel. And it's going through the article, da-da-da, and I love this nuance. I think this makes the best sense. It says foreign experiences increase both cognitive flexibility and depth, integrativeness and thought and ability to make deep connections between disparate forms. It says Adam Galinsky. Hey, Adam, it's uh, you're back from Columbia Business School, uh, the author of numerous studies on the connection between creativity and international travel. Cognitive flexibility is the mind's ability to jump between ideas, the key component of creativity. He says though, but it's not just being about abroad. The key critical process is multicultural engagement, immersion, and adaption. Someone who lives abroad but doesn't engage with the local culture will get less likely of a creative boost than someone who travels abroad and really engages with the local environment. 
In other words, going to Cancun for a week on spring break probably won't make a person more creative, but going to Cancun and living with local fishermen might. And I think out of all these studies, that's the point to take out of it. I think, you know, travel can potentially give you new insights. I believe that. I think traveling, and when we say traveling, so what is traveling? You know, you might a hundred, you know, miles or kilometers or whatever for you, or 200 or 500 could take you, if you live in Europe, to another country. But if you're in the United States, that's, you know, and you're in the middle of the country, that's, you'll still be in the United States. Does that count as travel? I think a lot of people try to mix those two things up, you know, distance traveled, um, where I, I think, honestly, it's just interacting with different types of people. I think that's really where you get to expand and you get to sort of open, broaden your horizon. Our brains are so focused on other people. It, it's so wired into us to be interested in other people, their, how they act, what they look like, their customs, uh, because it's a matter of survival. You know, we have to pick up social cues very, very quickly. So that's something that, that has benefited our species. Individuals that can't integrate with groups, typically, you know, they have a less survival chance, evolutionary speaking. So there's a great incentive for us to learn how to interact with different groups, uh, different groups of people in particular. It's one of the reasons that a lot of people have trouble understanding dogs, for example, like Caesar Milan would say. Um, you know, we treat our dogs like people. A lot of people do. And a lot of the behavior problems of dogs come because people tra- treat the dogs like a person. And, re- and, you know, his whole thing is you got to talk the dog language. You have to treat a dog like a dog, but you have to communicate with the dog like a dog because the dog is only going to understand, quote, dog. But the reason that we do that so often is that our brains are wired to do that. You know, it's not that we're, we're trying to make a dog a person, but in a way we kind of are because our brains understand that language. It's so ingrained in us. And so it's very difficult for us to think that another animal or another species can think so radically different than we can. And so that's something that's in that. But taking that travel, you know, we have this human blueprint that's sort of built into all of us and every culture does it a little bit differently and a little and the conditions sort of bring out different parts of a different culture and different parts of our human psyche that are pretty universal everywhere i think the more that you travel the more people that you meet the more you will understand that and the less scary things become and the more you realize hey there's other ways to do things which i i think is is always good um, so yeah, uh, travel can be, I, I don't know, travel, I think can be enlightening, but do, not necessarily if you're going to a foreign country to hit to the beach and just drink and party for a week and then go back home. I don't know how enlightening that's going to be. Um, so there you go. So those are some thoughts on that. Let me know what you think on, on, uh, on Twitter at Fox Nomad. Let me know. I'd be really interested to hear what you think. Um, or maybe you just love, you know, cheesy uh, Instagram quotes. Maybe that's maybe that's that's your thing. So uh, let me know that too. Um, all right, going into the next topic. 
deals and all the deals that are going around. I'm talking specifically about Travel Zoo because I don't want to generalize too much here. But if you probably have heard of Travel Zoo, it's 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 an advertiser. Essentially, what they do is they email you uh, sort of a list. I think every week, once a week of of travel deals. You know, like uh, this resort, you can go here for this amount of money, and you can take this flight for this amount of money, and all these deals. And they've been running these deals right now that give you refunds. You get a free refund if you have to cancel before, I think it's 2021. You know, each deal varies, but you you get the gist. Basically, great travel deals. I mean, really good. I'm looking through some of them. These are really good travel deals. Um, but you can also cancel because, you know, who knows what's going to happen? We're, we're in full, we're, we're still, you know, in the middle of this pandemic. Things are canceling all the time, you know, it, you don't want to travel now probably anyway and so on and so on so what's the catch so i got this question and that was really interesting and I, it actually took some digging to find out the answer it wasn't very clear to me so i'm looking at i just picked a random one so i, I went to travel zoo i went to the website i picked some of the what do you call it some of the refundable deals and i was like looking through this like what does this mean you know what okay you can refund it oh great so we've got $8.99, we got a five-star escape in Mexico, okay? So that sounds good, I guess. And it's fully refundable, so I can save now and travel later. That's what it says here. It's 53% off. Wow. I am so excited. All right. And I want to book it. And it says fully refundable again in green as I read the description. Secure the deal now and choose your travel dates when you're ready or get 100% refund if you don't go. And looking through their terms, that don't go can mean anything. I mean, you canceled it because you just couldn't go. They don't have the conditions listed as to why. It looks like pretty easy to cancel. And it says when you can go, the travel dates are through September 21. Oh, nice. It's a, that's 13 months that you can travel. So what does that mean? So uh, it goes in reading what's included and shows you what you can get with the travel deal. It looks pretty good. All options, get breakfast, ooh, sweet, all kinds of things. And then if we go down to what they say about cancellation, so it says until the voucher's expiry date, Travel Zoo will give you a full refund of your purchase if you can't find the dates that suit you or you can't travel. If you book, uh, if you already booked your date, simply cancel with the hotel at least 14 days prior to the arrival and contact Travel Zoo for a refund. If you cancel or change your booking after that time, you may be subject to additional hotel fees. So. I was like, huh, that seems that seems really a good deal, right? Like who doesn't want a fully refundable travel deal? What's the catch? Now, of course, a lot of places have incentive to give you a good deal right now because tourism is basically, this is probably the worst crisis to hit the tourism industry ever. So I can imagine a lot of places are just giving good deals and it is a good time to book. So if you saw my video of what it's like in Istanbul um, and I was just telling you you know it might not be the best time to travel now but it's definitely a good time to start looking at potential travel deals for next year because the deals right now are really good and the incentives are there so when it comes to these fully refundable deals like the airlines so the airlines now are fully you, you can get a refund but almost always those refunds are in miles so that's what they don't tell you so if you look here they use this language of voucher and full and they use they use the term voucher so they don't say your money back that's the key 
So when I was looking through this, I was looking for people who've had this experience, and I found out what basically Travel Zoo does is they're an advertiser. And so what they do is they present the deals from the hotel, the airline, whatever, and then you go through them and you book. For this, Travel Zoo gets some kind of commission, right? So you're going through them, they get a commission. There are fees involved in that process. Um, and so when you get your, quote, voucher money back, the voucher money isn't money. It is, if you want the voucher, that is the ability to rebook for that particular deal. So let's say I booked this $8.99 Mexico resort deal. If I cancel that then and I get this voucher refund, that means that I get a voucher to use at that hotel again. It's not a money back return. You can get your money back. They do have some options for that, but it's about, you only get about 60, let me calculate this in my brain, about, yeah, about two thirds back of, of the total money. So in some cases you can get actual money back, but these are all the vouchers. So you can cancel and they'll give you a refund in terms of a voucher. So great, you canceled this deal, but now you're limited to being able to book that place again. So let's say you have to cancel your Mexico trip, then you get a voucher, full refund, but it's only for that resort again. So it's not like you can use that all across Travel Zoo because they're just the advertiser. They're just showing you those deals. Now, if you want to get your money back, then you have to go through the actual resort itself, and then you have to see what their policies are on refunds. So there's, you know, it's it's not shady, I guess. I mean, the, the language is is pretty correct. A lot of companies do this. You know, they go refundable, but refundable in what? That's always the question. Refundable in what? Are we refunding in miles? Are we refunding in vouchers? Are we refunding in what are we refunding in, guys? Usually for normal people, right? We're refunding in money. We think about money, but it's not always like that. That's why you got to look for money back is usually the kind of the term that they use or they don't use. But uh, here, what TravelZoo says is voucher. Voucher. Talk a lot about these vouchers, and it depends on the specific place that you're booking for. So if you're somebody who's tempted by these deals, that's one thing that you want to look at. You want to look at that voucher stuff. And uh, if you're looking at this travel zoo deal, for example, probably should contact the resort itself and see what their return or you know refund policy is and see if your travel insurance will cover cancellations as well. Right now, most of them, a lot of them don't because of, you know, there's so many cancellations because of COVID. So that's that's the thing that you got to look for. I would just get in touch with the resort directly, just bypass Travel Zoo altogether, see if you can get that deal, see what their refund policy is, and then go from there. Normally, you would book a trip and probably it would happen, right? But these days, so many cancellations, you've just got to be extra careful, especially about refunds, refund policies, and all of that. I mean, the airlines are just honestly screwing people when it comes to that. So they're just changing all their cancellation policies. And it's like, wait, if you cancel the flight, how do I not get my money back, right? Like, yeah, there's there's a pandemic happening. There are all these cancellations, but if you canceled the flight, how can I not get my money back, right? So if I go to a restaurant and I order a meal and I don't get my meal because the kitchen is shut down for whatever reason, how do I not get my money back for that meal, right? Like. 
yeah, it doesn't make sense. So that's that's the trick on that. All right, and the last thing I want to talk about here is I made this. I made this. I I, I tweeted out a couple of months ago. I tweeted about tweeted out this interview with uh, Edward Snowden, and I was talking about contact tracing apps and and you know these apps, especially governments are putting out to be able to trace people and track people and say like, oh, you were in touch. This person was in contact with somebody who's been confirmed COVID positive now. So then we can find out, you know, how the disease is spreading, but also be able to trace, you know, who that person had contact with through their phones. So using the phones, seeing, you know, who they were near and all that. And I said, I just tweeted out this article about the, the privacy implications. Um, I got this tweet back, which I thought was interesting and I wanted to address. Uh, this is months ago, but uh, here we are addressing it now. It says, the alternative to these restrictions doesn't bear thinking about. Uh, graves and parks uses uh, mortuaries. Every family is touched by laws. There, there's a time to have the discussion once we are safe. And I, I thought that was a really interesting question. The time for the, the security and privacy question is when we're safe. And I... Let, let, let's jump into that. So I've got a lot of thoughts on this. First of all, it's a valid, it's a valid point, right? I understand why people think this way. First thing I would say in brief is that the technology doesn't necessarily mean that you're safe. So a lot of times when we talk about tech, we talk about a technology, we talk about something, we, we automatically assume, especially when it's security related, that it will actually do what it says it's going to do. Right, we're using contact tracing apps, for example. We assume that it's going to slow down the spread of of COVID. We assume that. But if we look around the world now in August, so that tweet was in at the beginning of April. If we look around the world now, we see in a lot of places everywhere. I mean, it's not just the United States, honestly. A lot of places, social distancing isn't really happening. People are getting lax about wearing masks, so on and so on. So we we see this sort of general loosening of the restrictions ad hoc, right? There may be official restrictions in place. People are being less diligent about using this. So so even if we had these contact tracing apps all over the world, right now at this point, would they actually do anything in the sense that do you think the government, how, how would governments respond? I mean, there have been some lockdowns that have happened again but it seems like in a lot of places, especially where there's economic incentive to stay open or reopen, that it hasn't really made a difference. So assuming that, you know, how much would, a, how of these contact tracing apps, what impact would they have now? And let's say a vaccine comes out of COVID, let's say, let's say tomorrow a vaccine is out and a week we're all vaccinated, it's gone. Do those contact tracing apps just go away? Does the data that they've stored from those apps go away? Does everybody uninstall those apps? Probably not. A lot of people probably keep those apps on their phone just out of sheer, just neglecting to delete them. And then now you have all this data out there. And so those are the two things I'd say. One is the technology doesn't necessarily guarantee security. It doesn't necessarily mean that. You've got to look into the details. Of what is the actual technology doing? How does it store data? Who has access to that data? And what happens to that data over time? Those are all things that, that you have to look at. And that's what cybersecurity experts are for. That's what we do. We look into those things. That's what the field is all about. So 
you know, you've you've got to have that balance. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we we should have this app and and we're all going to be safe. Whatever the technology is, it doesn't necessarily mean that. I think in a lot of people's minds, and especially people who are not as familiar with technology from us, especially from a security point of view, but people who aren't programmers or people who don't work in the tech fields, a lot of times they tend to just equate technology with, you know, they make that leap between, oh, technology says it will make us secure, will make us secure. Whereas, you know, it's like anything else. It's just stuff people make. So, you know, if I say this car is going to solve climate change, for example, uh, you know, it's, well, how does that car work? How are we manufacturing it? If it's an electric car, where do those batteries, where are they made from? How do we get the chemicals in those batteries? Where do those batteries end up when we're done using them? So it's a little bit messier when you get into the details and same with this, but I'm going to leave a link to this uh, sort of graphic in the show notes. And it's about protecting lives and liberty. It's called How Contact Tracing Apps Can Foil Both COVID and Big Brother. And it goes into a very elegant solution, very user-friendly, readable way as to how contact tracing apps can be designed to be entirely anonymous. So anonymous from the person, the data is anonymous to the person on the phone. Data is anonymous to the people collecting the data. And it's a pretty simple setup. It doesn't, doesn't require some you know, it, it's not that hard. It's really just about anonymizing. That word is so so fun to say, but also difficult. It's all about anonymizing the data. So it's not personally identifiable and it can't be used to trace your location or anything else about you. It's very easy to do. So um, it is possible and it's there. And uh, if you want to, if you want to check out that that uh, specific thing about these contact tracing apps, take a look. It's really interesting. It's a good way to do it. Technology doesn't always mean security and you've got to build in the privacy into the application. And usually governments don't have that incentive to do that. So it's something that both the technologists and the people uh, under those governments have to demand. So there you go. All right, well, thank you very much for listening to this last hiatus episode of the Fox Nomad podcast, it still feels kind of weird. It's just me. There's no guest, uh, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, I, I, I still have, I still have the, how do you call it? I still got that, you know, I still got that mentality, and I can still do it. Hopefully, if you're still listening by now, I've accomplished that goal. Anyway, I hope you have a great August. Um, if you're still listening at this point, please please do give the Fox Nomad podcast five stars on wherever you're listening to this. We just hit the top 21 in Asia two weeks ago by the time you're listening to this, which is massive. Um, when I was looking at that list, those top 21, I saw number one at the list, which is a podcast I really like. It's, it's, it, it's one of my favorite podcasts. So when I saw that there, I was like, ah, it's, it was kind of nice to be on the same list as that podcast. Um, and as you know, before that, we hit number seven in Europe. So it is just, you know, I'm always just blown away. So we're, we're hitting the charts and that's all because of you. Thank you very much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Don't forget, uh, we're going to have Geek Week coming out next week, special episode. Get ready for that. Enjoy your time off. Hit me up on Twitter if you get bored at Fox Nomad. Uh, we'll chat and uh, enjoy the rest of your day and talk to you in the next episode.